This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm Art Wiederman CPA. It's a pleasure to be with you today on this podcast. Uh, I'm very, very proud of the work we've done on the Art of Dental Finance. We're approaching one year in our podcast. I cannot believe that the journey has gone this long, and we've had some amazing guests on our podcast. We've had management consultants and attorneys and uh, we, we've had financial uh, financial planners, investment advisors. We've had people giving advice on how to get a new office and how to do medical billing and how to start an in-office membership program. And I've done some of the episodes myself, and I actually enjoy that a lot because, number one, if you haven't figured it out yet, I do kind of like to talk. Uh, ask my wife, ask my boys, ask my friends. Uh, you get me talking and uh, it's kind of like you have to say, okay, Art, it's time for someone else to talk. But the good news about doing the podcast is there's nobody else here that wants to talk other than me. And today we're going to have a topic which I think is going to be really, really important and really informative for those of you who are growing your practices. And the topic today is bringing in an associate. How do you bring them in? Why do you bring them in? And then ultimately, once you bring them in, maybe you make them a partner. And how do you do that? Now, I have been a dental CPA for 35 years. And for 35 years, I've I've seen everything in the dental profession when it comes to finance and management. And I know a little bit about a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff, a lot of bit about a lot of stuff. Let's see. Does that make sense? I, I know a lot of stuff. At least I think I do. And I have helped dentists. Uh, dozens and dozens of times, well over a hundred times, help uh, structure and talk about how do you set up a partnership and how do you bring the associate in and, and why. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, you might want to take some notes because I got a lot of good information. I got about four pages of notes, which four pages of notes for me probably means that I'm not going to have enough time to cover everything. But before I start talking about associateships and all that stuff, uh, let me give you some information. If you'd like to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, California, in Orange County, you can call me at 714-259-0505. And if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's Art Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at gmail.com. If you want to Take a look at our CPA firm, which is HMWC CPAs and Business Advisors. We have a wonderful firm. I merged about almost two years ago, and uh, we're their dental division. We represent about 250 dentists, and mostly in Southern California, but we actually have clients in 15 states, primarily because of my affiliation back in the 80s with the Pride Institute. And uh, if you want to look at our website, it's www.hmwccpa.com. If you go to the resource tab, you'll find all the prior podcasts on the uh, resource tab when you when you click on podcast and you get to see all the guests and you can download any of them. There are still people downloading the first podcast that I did back in December of 2018. And if you are looking for a dental specific CPA anywhere in the United States of America, please, please, please go on to the website of the Academy of Dental CPAs. Uh, I'm a proud member. I'm a founding member of the Academy, 24 CPA firms that represent well over 9,000 dentists, some of the most uh, knowledgeable, articulate, intelligent. Uh, let's see, what other adjectives can I come up with? Fun? Wait a minute. Did I say CPA and fun in the same sentence? Yeah, some of these folks are fun. Uh, people that you're ever going to meet and they care deeply about the dental profession and we meet twice a year uh, at the time of this taping. We're just about ready to all get together in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, talk some more about dentistry and our practices and how we can better serve our dentists. Go to our website. Uh, if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA in, our, in your area, uh, go to www.adcpa.org. 
And uh, as I mentioned in the last episode that I recorded, we're going to have some very, very exciting news coming up here in the next couple of weeks about the growth of our podcast and what we're doing with it and the ideas we want to get the word out to everybody. So please, please tell your friends about the podcast, uh, tell your um, colleagues, tell your dental school professors, tell your equipment reps, your lawyers that you work with, your accountants, everybody's listening to this. Uh, one of my long-term clients uh, texted me a picture of him, and he's probably listening, so he knows who he is. Texted me a picture of him on his treadmill and said, "Art, I get you through. Uh, you get me through my workouts, and it's really good, um, which is nice and it's it's humbling." I, I always joke about the fact that uh, uh, people who say they've listened to my podcast and I say, "Well, is it helping you sleep?" Actually, I hope it's not helping you sleep. I hope it's uh, informative. Um, for everybody that's listening, and, and we've got tons and tons of people listening to our podcast. Very, very exciting. So anyway, let's get to our topic today. And the topic is an associate. You, you know, if you're going to be practicing your entire career by yourself and you don't want a partner and you don't want anybody telling you what to do, uh, this might be good for you to listen to just in case you change your mind one day or you have a friend or a colleague or a classmate that's thinking about it, and you can give them this kind of information. But if you're doing things right, and you grow your practice to the point where you can't do the work anymore, then this is where you want to ask about an associate. Now, if you're talking about a manufacturing business or a retail business, uh, you, you can grow a business if you're the owner of that business. And all you need to do is add layers of people. You add salespeople, you add accounting people, you add administrative people, you add HR people, and those people handle the customers. Uh, you, you, maybe you add uh, people on the phone to, to service your customers. But in a dental practice or a law firm or a CPA firm like mine, uh, there is only so much work. There's only so many hours for me to bill our clients. There's only so many hours for you, the dentist, to work and do crowns and bridges and composites and uh, implants and all the things, the wonderful things that you guys do to help people. There's only so many hours in the day, and there's only only so many days in the week that you're going to work. Most, most dentists uh, that have uh, existing and uh, thriving practices usually work about four days a week, maybe four and a half, some work five. Uh, a lot of our younger dentists who are trying to pay off their student loans are working five and six days a week. I don't necessarily recommend that, but that's another conversation for another day. So why an associate? When do we hire them? So let's think about the different reasons that you would hire an associate. First of all, the first and foremost is your practice is growing. You're picking up lots and lots of new patients. The patients that you have continue to come to see you. They refer their friends. You're doing some great things on social media. You're involved in the community. You're getting 20, 30, 40 new patients a month. And we have doctors that get that number of new patients or more. And the most number of patients that you want to see maybe in a day is, I don't know, Eight to 12 patients a day because you want to spend more time with your patients. That's why your practice is so successful uh, because patients love to talk to you. They trust you and you spend time with them and you explain to them why the work that they're suggesting, why the work that you're suggesting that they do is so important to their overall health. So if you're getting 30, 40 new patients, you can't handle that many by yourself. The rule of thumb that we've always used is that if you are pretty fully booked for about four to six weeks out, in other words, you're booked this week, and then four to six weeks after that, nobody can get in to see you, or it's really tough for people to get in to see you, then it's really time to start thinking about bringing an associate in. Four to six weeks. I'm not talking about hygiene. I'm talking about dentistry. And my experience in in my practice is that when the doctor is booked out four to six weeks, hygiene is usually booked out double, like eight to 12 to 15 weeks. And, and that is an issue and a problem that we have to deal with. Um, 
in in doing you know with our dentists is that you know we don't want to tell somebody you know you want a hygiene appointment you've been a practice uh, patient of our practice for 25 years and and you can't get in for four months we, we don't want that so that's an issue of room and space and adding hygienists but if you add hygienists you have to check all those patients so four to six weeks and hygiene that's that's really starting to book out far enough that it's 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 concerning to you and you know then we have to talk about the size of the facility which is again another conversation for another day so number one reason you'd hire an associate your practice is growing and by the way the best indication of whether you need an associate is going to be the person that schedules you at the front desk if you take that person out to lunch and you say listen i'm thinking about an associate i feels like we're really busy here's the reaction when you get the reaction is either going to be well doctor you know you need to maybe stop doing you know spending too much time not being productive in the office uh or they're going to say to you yep we can't get everybody and we're starting to get people who are complaining that they can't see you and they might be starting to leave the practice. So your front office is going to be a really good indication of whether you need an associate. The next thing would be to think about, are there additional services that you want to add that maybe you don't do? Now, again, I I do not want to offend our wonderful specialists out there, but the reality is, is that there are some dentists that uh, want to bring uh, services in-house, implants, endo, uh, Invisalign, things like that. But I'm thinking also more along the lines of sleep dentistry, uh, maybe full mouth uh, dentistry. Maybe you can find somebody who's you know got some skills that you don't have. So someone who can do some things that you can't do that will complement the practice. I have I have practices where there's three, four doctors who are partners and, you know, one doctor does the sleep dentistry and one doctor um, does the full mouth work and one doctor does Invisalign and that's all they do uh, other than some general dentistry and they've kind of departmentalized their dental practice. So that's another thing to think about. Here's a big one for why to hire an associate. I don't want to work as hard as I used to work anymore. Um, I want to take more time off. Uh, I want to travel. Uh, I want to, uh, I'm getting tired. Uh, I want someone else, someone else to be available to take call. Um, I, I was giving a seminar with uh, my, uh, our agent in our dental uh, practice brokerage, Dr. Bogdan Madurowicz, who's a wonderful, wonderful man. And we were having this conversation with a group of about 10 doctors who were thinking about getting ready and selling their practices about uh, taking time off and how, unfortunately, we're seeing people uh, in their 60s and 70s, which in this life is young. Uh, you know, people are living into their 90s, living to be over 100. But people in their 60s and 70s who are just really working hard and grinding and they're thinking, you know, I, I want to smell the coffee a little more. I want to travel a little more. I want to do some more things. And then they start developing health problems and they can't. So I want to encourage you, if you have a practice that's thriving and you've really done some good financial planning, think seriously about an associate, someone who could be your partner, someone ultimately to take you out, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but but think about someone who uh, can work side by side with you and give you that opportunity. Because as I said in our seminar that I gave to those 10 dentists, none of you are going to get an award that says, I worked too much. And you don't want that award anyway. Uh, one of the things I'm really proud of is, is you know, being a CPA, our busy time, uh, well, we have several busy times, but the busiest time is usually right between February 15th and April 15th. And those 60 days are the heart of the baseball season. Now, I was never able to take the responsibility of being a head coach or a manager uh, in Little League in Laguna Hills, California. But I was always an assistant, and I can count on one hand the number of baseball games I missed from my son Forrest in Little League, going into high school, and then college. Um, the one year he was at San Jose State, it was kind of hard to get up there. But um, when he was at Chapman, uh, I did not miss a game, even if it was a two- or three-hour drive. And and that was very fulfilling for me. And um, he remembers that. At least I think he does. I know he does. And that's something that that you guys also need to be thinking about is – 
if you got a big practice and you're making a good income and you're saving for retirement and you've got room for an associate, think about it. But there's other things to think about when it comes to that, which we'll talk about. Um, how about somebody to help you with the marketing of the practice and the administration? So my joke that I, I just told it to somebody uh, before I started recording this podcast is that uh, one of the reasons I had children was to help me with the Internet and help me with social media. Um, I do have an Instagram page. Uh, it's Arthur Wiederman. You can follow me. I have, I think, I think I have 142 followers. That's what I have. It's uh, uh, probably about 90 million less than Taylor Swift has. So, you know, it is what it is, but it's kind of fun, but I've never really gotten into it. And my kids teach me a lot about computers and how to get around computers. And it's, it's great, but you know, you're a 50, 60-year-old doctor and, and you're looking for somebody who's in their maybe early 30s. Um, the young people that are out there have scary, frightening computer knowledges because that's the world that they grew up in. So someone can help you increase your social media presence. Um, we had Rita Zamora on the program several months ago talking about social media. And, and that's what she does. And, and it's just amazing the things you can do. I could never do it. Uh, my contemporaries could never do it, but someone that you hire as an associate could do it. Um, also, um, what about some professional camaraderie and ability to review cases with people? Uh, you know, you went to dental school 30, 35 years ago and you do take CE, but some of the stuff they're teaching in dental school is really cutting edge. And you, you know, you might have a young doctor who's been a, a coice or a spear mentor or has been to Panky. And, and they've just got some really cool stuff. And you guys can review cases together, complex cases that uh, uh, it, it's it's great to have another dentist to bounce things off of, even if maybe they're not as experienced as you are. It's amazing the things that uh, uh, that, that the younger dentists know and how, how hungry they are for knowledge. So that's another reason. And finally, maybe we're going to find the person that's ultimately going to buy you out, your successor. So those are the things as the why. Why do we want to have an associate? Now let's talk about who do we pick? What are the qualities? What are the things you need to think about when you're going to find an associate? Okay, so the qualities. First of all, let's talk about their work ethic. Now, one of the things I tell doctors when I go to sell their practices is that they are never, ever going to know what kind of work ethic or what kind of a, um, a manager or how they're going to run the practice until they actually pay the money and buy the practice, and then you're probably gone. However, you can talk to a young associate about work ethic. What's their commitment? Here's an important thing, and I'm going to be very careful here what I say. So obviously, you know, you have uh, you have men and you have women. Those are the two choices. And um, there are, you know, if you're looking for somebody to take over your $2 million dental practice in the next three to five years, and you're talking to a, a young woman who maybe that is not her priority. Maybe she wants to have a family and work two or three days a week and stay at home and be a dentist two or three days a week. Those are things you have to consider. On the other hand, if you have a man who just says, listen, I'm just looking for a job. I'm, I'm really happy. I can make $100,000, $150,000 a year. Uh, my wife has a really good job. I don't want to be an owner. I just want to be the associate. I want to take really great care of patients. You need to know that. So you need to ask those questions. Again, you need to be very careful what you ask an applicant. And I would strongly urge you to call a labor attorney. I mean, we had uh, Aliyah Ramshian on our show, who is the, um, uh, as we call them, the head cook and bottle washer or the president of uh, HR for Health up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Ali is a wonderful resource if you have questions and you want to know what you can and what you can't ask. But these are, you know, and again, I, I, I'm very, very much do not mean to be offensive to anybody, but these are real life questions that, that, that do come into play. And we want to make sure that the associate is happy and that the senior doctor is happy. Um, goal oriented. Um, you know, I like to ask people, are they goal oriented? What, what are their goals in life? Where do they want to be in, Two years, five years, 10 years. Um, so are they goal-oriented? I'd also like to encourage you to talk to an associate and basically say that you would like to have somebody who's going to live and work in the same community. One of the things that I, that I teach the young dental students uh, all over the place is that they should work in the community that they live. 
get involved in your church, your synagogue, uh, the schools, uh, get involved in the chamber of commerce. I have one doctor who actually had a practice and um, we just sold it for him. And, and actually the chamber of commerce was in the same building. What a great deal that is. So get involved in the community. If, if you have an associate who lives 40 miles away, it's going to be hard for them to grow that practice inside of the community. Um, also, you know, clinically, talk to them about their clinical aptitude. Uh, you know, I'd like to know where they rated in their class. I'd like to know how they did. That is not necessarily an indication of how good or not good of a dentist they are. But what kind of CE are they taking? Well, you know, I, I'm really into my golf and my sailing, so I, I kind of take the minimum CE I can. I do it online, and I kind of take the easy stuff, so it's not really hard. Or are you going to get someone that says, you know, I've become a mentor of John Coyce's, or I am, uh, you know, basically in a spear study club. You hear that from a dentist. You know that that dentist has made that extra investment in continuing education, and they're really, really going to be technically competent. Again, you never know until you start working with them, but that's a good sign. All right. Now, I have a great question, so I'll tell you this story. This is great. My first job in accounting was when I was 16 years old. Let's see. What was that? Uh, 1872? No, not quite. Uh, what was it? 1976 when I first moved to, um, yeah, 1976. First moved to California, and I went to work for a guy named Larry Shipley. He was a really crotchety old guy, cigar smoking guy. I mean, he just, you know, you didn't mess with the guy. But I interviewed with him. And the first question he asked me was, so Arthur, are you bright? Now, think about that question. If you ask someone if they're bright and they have to think about that, what does that mean? <laughs> it probably means maybe they're not so bright. Uh, but that's a question that I ask every applicant that came to work for me after I started and you know became the owner of Wiederman and Associates, my CPA firm. Are you bright? That's a good question. I think maybe the most important quality of an associate is how do they talk to people? Because again, folks, and we've talked about this on this show over and over and over again, you are competent as a dentist. People come to you because there's a presumption that you know what you're doing. There's a presumption that I know how to prepare a tax return, and I do very, very well. But people come to me and people stay with me, not because I know what line to put the home mortgage interest on or, or, or they don't come to you because of your occlusion. They come to you because they know you and they trust you. And you talk to them and they understand you and they, they really like coming to your dental office and they feel comfortable that you're going to take world-class care of them. So talk about verbal skills. How do they talk to people? The one thing I taught my two boys, and I'm so proud of my two boys, Nathan and Forrest. They're just, they're, they're different as night and day, but I am so proud of the two of them. Um, I taught them from day one, firm handshake, look people in the eye. And it's really, really important. Uh, that you do that. So see how someone communicates with you. If they're just kind of fumbling or maybe they're playing with their phone. I've had people actually come into interviews with me and they're texting people during the interview. I'm going, no, you're not coming to work here. Not going to happen. So, you know, how do they talk to people? Um, ask them about their patient care. Here's what you want to hear. My number one priority, Dr. Smith, if I were to come to work for you, would be the total health and the absolute happiness um, of our patients. If you hear that from a doctor, that's a good sign. If you hear, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to do good work. You want to hear that their total health is a big concern to, to that potential associate. So that that's important. Here's another thing if you want to hear, if you hear this, maybe run. Well, I, it's really important that I make a good income. I got a lot of student loan debt, and I, I just bought this new Tesla. Have you ever driven a Tesla? And, and you know, if you hear, I've heard that. I've heard everything. And if you hear that, that may not be the person that you want because they're motivated by money, and then they're going to diagnose being motivated by money, and they might overdiagnose. They might not. But again, you know, how important is money to you? Money is important to everyone. You need money. In order to do things in this life, in order to eat and buy food and take trips and drive a car and 
uh, buy insurance and, and you need money, but it's, you know, I, I've taught on this podcast and my consultant friends have taught for, for years and years and years. You take care of people and the money will come. If the associate says the money is a priority, then again, you might want to think about a different associate. You really want to call one of the uh, labor attorneys or Ali Aramshian, someone like that, and talk about running background checks. You want to run background checks. I was in this meeting that we had, we had a um, one of the dentists who was hiring an associate who said that they did a, ran a background check and it turned out that the dentist had been convicted um, for um, selling cocaine twice, not once, twice. Uh, and you don't find that out unless you you run those background checks. And the other thing you want to do is go on a social media. Take a look at the people's Facebook page. Take a look at their Twitter account. Take a look at their Instagram account. If you see things that just don't sit right with you, that'll tell you. And again, it absolutely amazes me how people put things on social media and they think that nobody's going to look at them. Well, they do. And employers do. And you as an employer should also do that. Um, And um, ask your team. What do you think would be good characteristics of an associate? And you've got to get your team to buy in to bring the associate in. If you bring an associate in and none of them think that you need them, it's going to be a fight. So I would have that conversation with the team. How do you find an associate? Well, you can hear some suggestions. Dental school professors might know people that have graduated. You know, I know this guy and he, he, he was my best student and he was just my favorite. And I think he'd be great for you. Uh, and he just uh, left an associateship uh, five miles from where your office is. Or, uh, you know, local and state uh, dental society ads and uh, websites, you can post ads. Uh, there seem to be a lot of associates. It depends on the area of the country that you're in. Uh, CE groups, you know, the Spear groups, the Panky groups, the Coist groups. Uh, there are people that might be looking for opportunities. I've found a couple of great buyers in those groups for my practices. Uh, dental supply company reps always seem to know. And again, it's not a secret that you're bringing an associate. You're bringing an associate in because your practice is growing, and it's a great thing. Um, and, and consultants would be another another way to to, to take a look at that um, to to see if they know of somebody. But uh, usually, when you put the ads out and you put the word out, you usually get a good number of resumes, and you want to go through them. And uh, uh, you don't want to interview thirty or forty or fifty people. You want to probably narrow it down to your top five and um, you know, the other thing that you might, uh, well, we're going to talk about that a little later as far as uh, personality surveys. So we bring them in. We find the associate. You interview them. You really like them. They like you. Seems like it's going to be a good fit. You got to figure out, first of all, how many days a week are they going to work? And that's something you really sit down with your team and say, can we really keep this doctor busy three days a week? And they go, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? We can keep him busy 30 days a week. Then you bring them in. You know, maybe you bring them in three days a week for the two to three days for the first month and just see how it goes. And then if it's that busy, then we just say, we're going to load you up here. We're ready to go four days a week, four and a half days a week, five days a week if you want, if you can get the staff to do that. So, you know, again, ask your staff how many days, ask your team. I I keep using the word staff and I've got to stop doing that. Staff as an infection. You have a team. You don't have a staff. So ask your team when is uh, how many days do you think they can work? Let's talk about uh, also when you bring an associate in, you really have to sit down with your financial advisor because that associate is probably going to take several months to ramp up. And once that associate ramps up, then it's going to take another 30, 60, 90 days to collect the money that that associate produces, assuming that your production stays the same you're probably going to take a short-term cut in your income. Can you afford that? Uh, You've got to figure that out. I always tell people they need to have at least three to six months personal living expenses in a savings account. But if you're living month to month and you've got credit card debt uh, and you're just getting tired and you don't want to work as hard and you bring an associate in, you, you might be shooting yourself in the foot because you might put yourself in a financial bind. And boy, money stress is the number one reason for lots of problems that people have in this life. Um, so so that's a consideration you want to have. How do we compensate an associate? We compensate an associate generally either a daily rate or a percentage of production or a combination. So let me give you an example. 
In Southern California, and again, everything is different all over the country, but in Southern California, a hygienist earns $400 to $450 a day. And yeah, I've got doctors who work in La Jolla and Beverly Hills and Newport Beach who say, well, maybe it's higher. It's 500 a day, but let's just say 400 to 450 a day. Most dentists that come in as associates, I've never seen less than a minimum guarantee 500 a day. And most dentists are paid a daily rate of somewhere between five and 800 or five or $900 a day. And think about it. The average dentist coming out of school is going to make, you know, 120 to $180,000 a year. And, uh, you know, that's about what that comes to, give or take. So maybe you basically guarantee someone $600 a day because I think you have to guarantee somebody an income because if if you just pay them on production and you don't have any patience for them, that's not their fault. That's kind of your fault. Uh, General Motors doesn't hire uh, an equipment uh, a repair uh, an equipment guy who uh, um, who's going to build motors and basically say, well, you know, we don't have any motors today, so we can't pay you. It doesn't work that way. So you got to give them a guarantee, and you got to make sure that you have the work for them. But then you say minimum 600 a day, but we'll pay you 25% of your collectible production. Now, very important, collectible. If you have a bunch of PPOs that you're contracted with, you can't pay the associate uh, 30% of 1400 for a crown if you're only getting paid 950 for a crown. So it's got to be collectible production. And do you pay them on production or collections? Uh, I think you pay them on production because if you, number one, they're doing the work, you know, they got to get the money. But, you know, if if the patient doesn't pay, that's your front office's problem. Uh, there's a lot of pros and cons. I wish I had more time to talk about that. Most doctors are paid on production and it's collectible production. So if a doctor produces, you know, $3,000 in a day uh, and they get a minimum of 600 a day, so three, 30% of 300,000 of 300, of, uh, 3, is uh, $900, so they get the greater of 900 or the 600 guaranteed minimum. If they only produce 1500 in a day, 30% is 450 and they would get the 600 So again, you know, the associateship is a time that you're dating. You guys are dating each other to see if it's something that's going to work out long term. You must have a, an attorney draw up an associateship agreement. And that is a dental-specific attorney. Now, again, I'm in California. In the state of California, uh, covenants not to compete are not generally inf- are not enforceable unless you've actually sold a practice. And again, I am not a licensed attorney. Please do not say Art Wiederman attorney said this, but this is what I know. In California, we have associate agreements where uh, you don't put in a covenant not to compete. You put in a covenant not to treat. You put in a covenant not to solicit patients. You put in a covenant not to solicit referral sources. You put in a covenant not to solicit uh, dental team members, employees. Uh, That, my understanding is, you can do. But covenant not to compete in California is not enforceable. But for everybody in the most of the other 49 states in the United States, covenants not to compete are enforceable. As I understand it, uh, they have to be reasonable in both uh, time period and in uh, length. I had a doctor who was trying to hire an associate in Arizona, and he said, I would like a covenant not to compete that forbids this person from practicing in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and California. And I said, well, why don't you just make it the whole world and then you'll have it all covered? So you can't really do that. It has to be reasonable. So, you know, those are the terms. Have a dental-specific attorney draw up that agreement. And I like putting in the agreement at the end that says, in 18 months, we're going to talk about partnership. Where do we go with this thing? Uh, that, That you don't promise them anything, but you say, if things work out, after there'll be a review after six months, there'll be a review after 12 months, there'll be a review after 18 months, and that maybe after 12 months, We will have that conversation, very open-ended, very general, nothing that commits anybody, but we're going to be dating for a year. We're going to see how the team likes you. We're going to see how the patients like you. We're going to see your work ethic. We're going to see all these qualities that we hoped that when we hired you, that you possessed, that we talked about a little earlier in the show. 
So that's what we want to do as far as compensation. Before I go further, I'm going to give my information out one more time in the middle of the show here. Uh, if you need to call me, 714-259-0505. Uh, our website is www.hmwccpa.com. Look up the resource section. Look up the podcast section. All our podcasts are there. Email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. And if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA or you're looking for advice on associateship, all of our ADCPA members deal with this topic on a regular basis. Go to www.adcpa.org and find the AE. Find the member dental-specific CPA in your area. You will not be sorry. All right, let's go back to our topic. Do we pay the associate as an independent contractor or an employee? Get that all the time. Well, if I'm the dentist from a financial standpoint, I really only want to pay that doctor as an independent contractor. Because if I pay him as an ind- or her as an independent contractor, I don't have to pay 7.65% in Social Security and Medicare taxes. I don't have to pay workers' compensation insurance. I don't have to provide any benefits, health benefits, medical expenses, life insurance, whatever you provide to your employees. I don't have to include that associate in my retirement plan, although even if they're an employee, there are ways to get around that and that are very legal uh, that, that we can certainly talk about. Um, so it saves you all that money uh, if they're an independent contractor. The problem with that is the government doesn't like that because they're not getting their payroll taxes. Now, theoretically, that associate is going to be filing a Schedule C, uh, and they're going to pay Social Security taxes themselves. But what if they don't? Uh, The government can come back to you, and if you've misclassified your employee as an independent contractor, they can actually come come after you for the money you didn't withhold in tax withholding, and this both halves of the Social Security tax. Haven't seen it happen, but there was a recent case called Dynamex. The Dynamex case was a guy who owned a limousine company, and one day he woke up and said, I'm tired of paying all these expenses for these employees. I'm going to snap a snap my finger, turn a switch, and now they're independent contractors. And the, the Supreme Court, the California Supreme Court, came up with a, a three-pronged test, which is the test that we always look at. But the main test was test B, which basically said that if your person that is working for you does the same services that you do, that person is an employee. So, for example, if you hire someone to clean your office, well, you don't clean offices uh, to make a living. You're a dentist. You you are a dentist and you do what dentists do. And that person is a um, cleans offices. It's different. But if you hire an associate dentist who does the same job that you, the senior doctor, do, that person's an employee. I would strongly urge you to pay that person as an employee because, yes, it's going to cost you a little more. You might be able to negotiate a little bit lower of an associate fee. But if you get a good associate, that extra 7 to 10% in costs is a drop in the bucket. And you really should you really should pay them as an employee. I I, our company policy when we talk to our doctors is no matter how much they argue with us, well, you know, we got five guys in this building that are paying dentists as independent contractors. Well, that's great. If you want to do it, you don't do it with my blessing. So you should really pay them as an employee unless they are an incorporated doctor. And that's still a gray area, but you got a much better shot if they're incorporated because they're going to take that money into their corporation and pay the payroll taxes out of their uh, maybe one of these days I'll get a straight answer from somebody as to whether that works or not, but that's about the only way I can see you doing it. So the other thing you want to talk about your, with your doctors is, do you want to have a limit on how much they can diagnose without coming to you? You don't want to have a young man or a young woman who's one year out of dental school, and the first thing they do is they diagnose a $75,000 full mouth reconstruction on a patient who maybe doesn't need that. So you, you want to have maybe you know anything over $5,000. You might want to have uh, a provision in your associate agreement that says that the, the junior doctor, the associate, is going to run that by the senior doctor, let the senior doctor look at the chart and bless it. And hopefully that'll, that'll work out for you. Um, in the associate agreements, we talked about covenants and ethics and have an attorney draw it up and when the buy-in happens. All right. 
So we've got a little bit of time left. I'm going to touch on the partnership aspect. So if you're looking for someone to be your partner, all right, and, and we'll probably do another show on this because there's just so much. And I'm actually going to probably have one of my dental-specific attorney friends uh, come and talk about uh, this with you because uh, they have a lot of legal issues that they that they have to talk about. But you have to really figure out where are you in your life? Do you want an associate for some professional camaraderie? Do you want an associate because you're 57 years old? You want to retire in five years? You want to set the stage for the retirement? Find your successor. Get them to know your patients. You want to take some more time out? That's a great reason to hire an associate. If you want to hire an associate, and I've had doctors say, I just want to have an associate. It makes me look like I'm a big businessman. I had one actually tell me that. And I go, no, that's silly. <laughs> that's not a reason to hire an associate. So you got to think about why do you want to hire them and where you are in your career. So let's say you decide that you want to sell a percentage of your business. You, you've decided you want to have a partner. Having a partner is a, my God, that's a dig deep conversation. I always talk about uh, the three things that I have uh, well, had until two years ago uh, that don't come with a how-to book, spouses, children, and businesses. And they're all partnerships. Uh, and I've had partners. I have my my partner in my dental CPA practice for uh, for years has been Pamela Chamberlain, who I, I couldn't ask for a better partner. And my partner in my practice sales business, Dr. Phil Potter, and I couldn't ask for a better partner. I've been very, very fortunate in that regard. But I've seen horrible partnerships where people go to court and things like that. So you know, what percentage of the practice do you want to give up? So let's say you um, you have a, a situation where your practice is doing a million, a million two, a million four. You're busting at the seams. You, you, you can't do any more and you bring someone in. My recommendation is bring someone in. Let them work for you for one to two years. Make sure that they're the right fit. Make sure that, that the, the team likes them, the patient likes them, patients like them, and that everything is well going well. And then... After a year or two, maybe you're 52, 54, 57, I don't know, uh, sell them 25% of the practice. Because remember, that young dentist is maybe two, three, four years out of school. They get student loan debt. Maybe they just started a family. Maybe they just have a, a new house payment, a, a new car payment, all these things. Maybe they have a new baby. Uh, babies get expensive. They do, uh, honestly. And so- you want to make sure that you don't overwhelm them. So let's say your practice is doing $1.2 million and maybe your practice is worth $900,000. Well, if you go to a dentist and say, you're going to buy half my practice and you've been there a year for $450,000, that, that's that's a little daunting. But if you go to them and say, listen, you're going to buy 25%. You've already gotten to know some of the patients. You're starting to produce $20,000, $30,000 a month and the price is $225,000. That over 10 years is not terribly daunting. Now, you're going to have to carry the paper on that, doctors, senior doctors, because the bank isn't going to finance it without taking your entire facility as collateral for the sale. And you don't really want that to happen. What if the associate defaults? Then you've got to basically get rid of that associate and you've got to pay that loan back. And you've probably spent that money. Maybe you put some in your retirement plan. Maybe you paid down your mortgage. Maybe you did a remodel on your house. I don't know. But uh, most of my doctors probably don't have that money sitting there waiting to pay it back. So you're probably going to carry the note. I would recommend a 10 to 20% down payment on that. Um, and I would also say, to the junior doctor, we're going to sell you 25% of this now. And then in the next three to five years, you're going to be obligated. And again, you have to talk to your attorney and see if this is legal in the state you're in. California, we've done this. We say that, that once you buy 25%, you're obligated to buy the other 75% uh, within five years. And it can be worked out. If the senior doctor says, you know, I know I'm going to be ready to go in five but I'd like the option to go in a minimum of three, less than five. Obviously, if something happens, death, disability, uh, that's a different conversation. But we want to have in there what the rules of the knife fight, as my good friend and partner, Dr. Potter, Dr. Phil Potter always says, we need to know what the rules of the knife fight are. So the rules are in three to five years, you're going to buy me out. You're going to make a good faith effort to go to the bank and you're going to buy me out. So 
how do we split the profits when you become partners, 75, 25 partners? Well, what I like to do is I like a two-tiered formula, and I've seen it done 47 ways to Sunday. So what we do is we have two tiers of profit. Tier number one is what we call eat what you kill, which is basically you do your um, you figure out how much each doctor produces. So I'm going to pay each doctor 30% of their production. Uh, that's the first tier of the profits. And the remaining profits going to be split on equity. So let's do a mathematical example. Let's assume that your profit in your practice is $500,000. Okay. And each doctor produces an amount of money that if you took 30% of that, it generated $350,000 that would be paid at 30%. Maybe uh, Dr. A is producing, um, you know, uh, $500,000 and 30% is $150,000. And Dr. B is producing the rest enough to pay uh, another maybe two hundred. So say three three hundred or three fifty is the first tier of profit, and that's paid on production. You eat what you kill, and let's say we have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars left in profit to distribute. And the way we do that is we do that based on equity. So if if the junior doctors bought twenty five percent of the practice, they get seventy. Uh, they get twenty five percent of that, which is thirty seven thousand five hundred. So maybe their share of the profit of the 500 is 187.5. Maybe they did 500,000. They got 30% is 150. And then they got 25% of the remaining profit. So they got 187.5. And the the senior doctor is getting 312.5. And they're going to get 75% of that remaining um, 150,000, which is $112,500. It is really hard to do these numbers on a podcast in front of a microphone. Uh, but again, if you call me at the office, 714-259-0505, I can walk you through the whole thing. We can do a go-to meeting and have that conversation. So the other way that I've seen it done is a straight eat what you kill, which is basically if you produce 70% of the dentistry senior doctor, you get 70% of the profits. And that is a motivation to the junior doctor to produce more dentistry. So that's a that's kind of a, a ways that I like splitting profits. We also want to have provisions in there for death and disability. How is the practice valued if, God forbid, the senior doctor or the junior doctor dies? And you want to have cross-purchase life insurance. Uh, and there's only 40,000 different people that can help you with that. And I can give you a referral if you need it. But, you know, if you think that the remainder of your practice is worth a million dollars, you get a million dollars of life insurance. Uh, the junior doctor would pay for it because he's getting the benefit of it on your life. Um, and, uh, you pay that premium. And then if the senior doctor dies, the junior doctor gets a million dollars. He or she is contractually obligated to pay the senior doctor's surviving spouse or estate if they don't have a surviving spouse, uh, that amount of money. And then you own the rest of the practice. How do we value the practice? Here, here's an interesting concept about that. So in valuing the practice, we value it. Do we value it when the day the associate walks in the door? Do we value it the day the associate is ready to buy in? When do we do this? Well, I'll tell you my opinion. You can always get an opinion from me. I'm never shy about opinions. So my opinion is, is that what you do is you value it the day the associate walks in. Because at that point, that associate has provided no goodwill to that practice. So if your practice is worth a million dollars that day, it's worth a million dollars. Now, if your goal is to have that associate buy in in two years, we want that associate to grow that practice to a million one, a million two, a million three, a million whatever. We want them to grow it. That's the goal. So to me, an incentive would be to say, hey, associate, I'll tell you what, for the first 25%, I'm going to sell you this practice. If you meet certain production goals, and you can set those, uh, I'm going to sell you this practice for today's value. You're going to have an option to buy it uh, for today's value. And that's an incentive that says anything that that associate grows the practice was due to his or her efforts. Now, the other thing that I do, and I usually recommend this first, is I say, okay, 
Let's do this. Let's take the million-dollar valuation, and let's say two years from now, the associate is just really in there kicking some butt, taking no prisoners, doing a really, really great job uh, with everything. And that associate uh, has grown the practice to a million four. So now it's doing it's doing a million. Uh, maybe it's worth seven hundred fifty thousand if it's doing a million. But now if it's doing a million four. You know what's what's uh, what's that? Now it's worth maybe a million dollars. So that practice growth, the value has grown by two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from seven fifty to a million. So maybe what we say to that associate is, listen, if you were going to buy it on day one, you would buy it for 125% for 187500 which is 25% of 750000 I'm doing these numbers in my head, so if I make a mistake, don't send me an email, okay? I'm not going to sit here and punch my calculator, but that those are the numbers. So one eighty seven five. If you make them buy it for the value two years from now, then it's two fifty. So here's what we'll do, doctors. We'll say, listen, part of the growth in the practice is due to the fact that the senior doctor has been a great mentor, a great teacher, has great systems, has a turnkey operation, and has a dynamite dynamite dental team, not staff, dental team. Keep saying dental team. Don't say staff. Dental team. They have a dynamite dental team. And part of it is because the associate has gone into the community and has really uh, made inroads in the community. Again, they're involved in the, the local uh, religious organization, the schools, the Chamber of Commerce, the Kiwanis, all these things that you have to do. They're doing social media that you weren't doing. So we say, listen, we're going to split the difference. Half the growth in the value of the practice in two years is attributable to me, the senior doctor, and half the growth is attributable to you. So you're not going to pay full freight. You're only going to pay the difference between Right in the middle between the 187.5 and the 250, maybe what does that come to? About 230, 225, so that everybody wins. And you can do the same thing for the rest of the practice. So you want to give that junior doctor an incentive because I certainly hope that $25,000 in a price is not going to make a difference in the life of that senior doctor. If they need an associate, they must be doing well. So um, you know, we do it at today's value. Maybe we do it at today's value, or maybe we split the difference of what the growth and the valuation is. Uh, and then at the end of the day, when we buy out the rest, we can do the same thing. We can do it for today's value. Again, it just really depends. It depends on the senior doctor's philosophy. It depends on the finances the senior doctor has. Uh, it depends on uh, just a lot of factors. But I really think that if you senior doctors try and grind the junior doctor and get every single dime you can out of him or her, that is going to tell that junior doctor what kind of a partner you're going to be. And it's also going to be a situation where um, the partnership might just not work out. And I think that's really, really important to know. And I think that that's, that's why you do those things. So it's really important that, that, that you give, I think, you give that senior doctor, you give that junior doctor a, a little bit of a break and an incentive and just say, you know, this senior doctor lady or guy is a really good person. And this is someone I want to work with and someone I think can mentor me and someone that can really, really help me in what I'm doing. Uh, and as opposed to, okay, well, they're, they're doing this valuation and they're grinding every dime they can out of me. And that's what they're all about. And, you know, that's really not who I want to spend the next 20 or 30 years of my life with, especially if that senior doctor is in their maybe forties. So it's really important. I, I think honesty, integrity, and transparency is so important in any relationship, marriage, uh, father, son, mother, son, father, daughter, mother, daughter. I think I covered all of them uh, in in that realm. Uh, and uh, associate, uh, senior doctor. Uh, you you got to live with that person. You're going to see that person's mug every single day uh, that you work for the rest of your career. You don't want to walk in every single day and say, you know, I'm here and I like the team and I like the patients, but I just really resent some of the things that that senior doctor has, has, has told me. And, and it's all about communication, folks. If you are an associate and you get into an associateship and you say, you know what, 
everything about this practice is great, except, doctor, this one thing that's kind of keeping me up at night. Uh, and, and, and you got to talk about it. And you got to be, you got to not be afraid that the senior doctor is going to blow a gasket or kick you out of the office. There's got to be communication, just like in a marriage, because this is, is, this is a marriage. So, you know, if you can't communicate with the senior doctor and you're afraid to talk to him or her, what kind of a partnership is it going to be? And it's just going to make your life miserable. And partnerships are hard enough as they are because no two people are the same. So it, it's really important that you you click and communicate. Now, for my senior doctor, hopefully I can sell my practice at the end. Maybe I sell 25 or 50% up front and I sell the rest of it in three to five years. And then I would like to work back. Is there enough money to do that? Well, I'm going to give you the answer. I've run the money. I've run the numbers backwards and forwards. This is the art of dental finance. We do numbers. That's what we do here. We don't do letters. We do numbers. Well, we have to do letters, but we do numbers too. And I believe that in order to have enough money for the senior doctor to be able to pay their note to you or to the bank to buy you out, to pay their, uh, you know, to, to to pay the overhead of the practice and to pay. Uh, themselves a reasonable return on their investment and a salary to pay their bills and live their lives, you need to be doing a minimum of $1.2 to $1.3 million. And I have doctors who say, well, I'm doing $600,000 and I want to have an associate work three days a week, but I don't want to take a cut in income. The math doesn't work. It's all a math problem. As I've told you guys, my mantra is my life is a math problem, except for my golf swing. My, my, my golf swing is, is very important. It has nothing to do with math. It has to do with focus and concentration. I keep telling that to myself. But anyway, uh, it's really, really important. It's a math problem. If you're producing a million and a half dollars and you're netting, let's just call it 40%, you're doing really well in overhead control and you're doing big cases and you make $600,000, you can afford to give up some income and, uh, you know, and, and not only can you afford to give up some income, but when that buyer buys that practice, there's 600000 of revenues. And the great thing about doing an associate uh, ultimate buyout of the senior doctor, you lose very few patients. Because when a new doctor comes in and the old doctor leaves and it's a single doctor buying out a single doctor, what happens? 10 to 15 to 20% of the patients leave for lots of reasons. But if the associate's been there three, four, five years and then you announce he's a partner and everybody's excited and they love him or they love her. It's great. So anyway, uh, that's about all I had on my list of issues to talk about. This is a like every other podcast. We could do hours and hours on this. But just promise me one thing. Put some thought into what you want to do. Sit down with a dental CPA. Sit down with your management consultant. Sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your team and say, you know what, folks, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to take this practice. And I just can't do anymore. And I don't want to work any harder. And I want to start taking some time off. And I want to find a wonderful young man or young woman who's going to continue my legacy of fabulous dentistry in this practice so that somewhere down the road I can retire. There are some people that say, no, well, you can never retire. Well, it doesn't work that way, folks. You want to set yourself up so that you can retire. And what was it that uh, I think I've mentioned this once or twice on the podcast? My my very good friend, the Jeannie Taylor, who I shared an office with at Deloitte Haskins and Sells back in the early 80s, she shared with me, she said, the 60s are the go years. When you're in your 60s, you go, you travel, you do, you do everything. I'm in my 60s and I do my Peloton three or four days a week. The 70s are the slow years. You're slowing down a little bit. And your 80s are the no years. I hate to say that. And now if there's any 80-year-olds out there who run marathons, uh, I take exception. Uh, you, you might take exception to what I say. But uh, the bottom line is uh, you want to enjoy your life. Really, you don't, you know, it's not a dress rehearsal. Find someone that you really like that's got the great, the same uh, philosophy of taking world-class care of your patients and get that person into the office and and let's make it happen. So anyway, last time I'll give out my phone number. My uh, number is 714-259-0505. 
Uh, HMWCCPA.com is our website. Go to the resource section. Go to the podcast section. All the podcasts will be there. Uh, if you are uh, wanting to send me an email, email me at artweederman at gmail.com. Uh, please tell your friends, write a review about our podcast, uh, subscribe to our podcast. If you subscribe to our podcast, then you'll get every single podcast as soon as it's published, which is every Wednesday morning, East Coast time, really early. They do it out of Atlanta. Uh, my producers, uh, Jody Smith and Nicole Christensen out of Atlanta are just golden. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And they, they, they make me sound really good, which is really hard because I'm the one that has the face for radio is what I've been told. And um, so, you know, every Wednesday morning when my podcast comes out, you'll get a notification and it'll automatically be downloaded onto your mobile device. Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that information was helpful to you about bringing on an associate and how to ultimately have them buy in. I did it in an hour. It's usually about a four-hour lecture, but I did it in an hour. Uh, I want to thank you so much, so much for listening. I, I've gotten so many kind, wonderful comments about the podcast. Um, you know, I, I've done this now for almost a year. I, I love helping dentists. I love giving back. Uh, this is my legacy is is helping dentists. And if I can help one of you today by you listening to this to really be able to put some thought into what it is that you want out of your practice and whether you want to bring in a partner or an associate. You know, the answer is you could also, you know, if I could do that, that would be wonderful. And the answer is you could just continue practicing solo. And if that makes you happy, that's great. But that is totally up to you. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA. Again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.